The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. We're going to be looking at this meeting by meeting. Um, based on the meeting today, I would tell you that I don't think it's likely that the committee will reach a level of confidence by the time of the March meeting. Wall Street drops as Fed Chair Jerome Powell pushes back on investor hopes for a March kickoff on rate cuts, with the S&P 500 seeing its worst day since September. BNP Paribas posts a net income of just over 1 billion euros in the fourth quarter. That's weighed down by higher provisions, while the French lender edges down its profitability target. And Adidas forecasts profit, profit will nearly double to up to 500 million euros this year as the sportswear giant looks to move past its breakup with Kanye West. And it's a super Thursday for earnings across Europe today. We'll be speaking to C-suite executives from Deutsche Bank, Volvo Cars and Shell, just to name a few. While on the macro front, Bank of England taking the center stage. We'll hear from Governor Andrew Bailey. That's happening at 4 p.m. GMT. The Fed held rates at a 23-year high as expected on Wednesday. While policymakers warned they need greater confidence that inflation is moving sustainably towards the central bank's 2% goal before cutting rates. Chair Jerome Powell poured cold water on market expectations for a March cut. Data dependent. We're going to be looking at this meeting by meeting. Um, based on the meeting today, I would tell you that I don't think it's likely that the committee will reach a level of confidence by the time of the March meeting to identify March as the time to do that. But that's, that's to be seen. Um, so I wouldn't call, uh, you know, when you, say, when you ask me about in the near term, I'm hearing that as March. I would say uh, I don't think that's it's probably not the most likely case or what we would call the base case. Powell's comments led investors to sharply pair back bets on a March cut, now implying a 35% chance, down from more than 50% ahead of yesterday's meeting, according to the CME's Fed Watch tool. So, Arabile, a lot of the big investment banks having to change some of their expectations. Goldman's, for instance, they've done uh, the fourth quarter was the initial expectation. They moved to the first quarter. Now they've flagged up the second quarter. So, pretty much done every quarter. They just have one left in terms of expectations of when those rate cuts come. Yeah, remember that higher for longer stance that we spoke about late last year or even at some point last year? Well, that's pretty much what we've still got, right? It's not actually far away from what the Fed was speaking about last year, saying that we need to maintain rates higher for longer to ensure that the trajectory of CPI is headed towards that 2% uh, level then. That's pretty much what we still have even now. So the markets did react on the back of Jay Powell having made note of that assumption then, even saying that March, perhaps too early. Yes, inflation is falling. Yes, the economy seems strong enough. You have that jobs market, which is still remaining resilient. But has the economy uh, needed enough of a boost then for rates to go down? And they say not yet. Markets, though, going down then, breaking a few days of upticks that we have seen uh, of late. 
The Nasdaq leading those losses. It had its worst day uh, since October. S&P 500 also having one of its worst days then uh, since October last year. So onto the Treasury's picture then. This also uh, had uh, quite a significant drawdown then following that decision uh, from the Fed yesterday, particularly out of the yields then, which actually dropped off below 4%, falling 13 basis points, both the 10-year and the 2-year note falling 13 basis points yesterday on the back of that uh, move then by the Fed. Yes, holding interest rates for now and holding out, by the looks of it, until May at the earliest assumption it looks like. 3.9462 is where we are then on that 10-year uh, note then at present. We'll continue to see how those signals fare in this marketplace. For now, that's where we stand. Karen. For a long time, uh, we've been talking about problems over at Credit Suisse as we talk about Swiss institutions. But it's fair to say over at Julius Baer, all is not well either. And as the four-year numbers cross today, we have had uh, fairly significant news flow. The uh, CEO has decided to, has stepped down. The CEO, Philip Rickenbacker, steps down a mutual agreement with the board of directors. And Nick Dreckman, who is the current deputy CEO and chief operating officer, is to become the interim CEO. So uh, the appointment of Nick Dreckman to replace Philip Rickenbacker on an interim basis at this stage. The CEO and five members of the executive board will not receive any variable compensation for 2023. Uh, David Nicholl, who is a member of the board of directors and chairman of its governance and risk committee, will not stand for re-election. So what we are seeing a sea change here. Board of directors has appointed Richard Campbell Breddon. This is a Breddon. This is the non-executive board member since 2018 as vice chair. So a complete reshuffle is what we're seeing here in terms of uh, some of the lineup. Board of directors will consider a potential buyback later in 2024. Has decided that the group will exit private debt business. They will refocus all lending activities on mortgage and Lombard lending solutions. External search for Rickenbacker successor launched and will be concluded in due course. Uh, the company now saying a total of 586 million Swiss in specific loss allowances on private debt loan book as reported above uh, and uh, saying this uh, effectively reflects a full amount of largest combined exposure. The company today having issues around its exposure to uh, one company in particular, this has been widely reported exposure to the one of Europe's highest profile luxury developers called Signa, a company that uh, had uh, recently appointed a new chair to restructure its group. But uh, Julius Baer, one of the large lenders to this organisation. So the numbers that have crossed today from the company itself, uh, they have mentioned a full year underlying profit before tax of 1.12 billion Swissy, that is minus 7%. Underlying profit that is down 10%, 947 million Swissy. Uh, the company's CET1 capital ratio at 14.6%, and uh, unchanged ordinary dividend at this stage. So, uh, just uh, peeling through some of the other key comments here, four year results reflect net credit losses of 606 million Swissy, which include full specific loan loss allowance of 586 million Swissy. So, again, the company telling up the exposures here that uh, it's now had to report. And I think uh, what investors are seeing, very swift action to change the uh, lineup from the CEO to some of the directors around compliance. 
it seems as though who was lent to and how much was lent to yep. has been a major issue at Julius Bear today. Yeah, certainly is. And uh, on the other side, you also have Deutsche Bank having put out its numbers as well then uh, significantly today. Profits down there for the fourth quarter. Less than feared, though, and uh, has announced a, a buyback and a dividend then as well. Net revenues are managing to climb. Trading revenues up around 1%. Uh, risk provisions for, pro, uh, for provisions. The question mark was always going to be how, how quickly... Uh, the net interest incomes would perhaps be falling from here, how fast the boost from higher rates was beginning to fade, if at all, uh, at this stage. And we are seeing Deutsche Bank post a 30% drop in fourth quarter profit as restructuring costs and other one-off expenses overweighed some of their revenue gains. So we'll continue to, of course, unpack that story uh, a whole lot more. Do stay tuned for our interview with Deutsche Bank CFO James von Moltke. We'll bring you that conversation at 7.30 CET. All right, let's head on over to some other earnings news, of course, that is continuing uh, across uh, the day's trading so far. Of course, a lot happening then uh, across today's trading picture. In fact, uh, we're now going to look at another bank then, this being INJ, which has also now come out uh, with its numbers then. Uh, the group uh, pointing towards uh, some numbers as it still comes up, uh, just... Um, Getting some numbers on it right now. Uh, let's, I'll just jump in. Fourth quarter net profit, 1.55 billion euros is what we've got. Let's hear from uh, the CFO. Tanata Futrakul joins us now, the CFO of ING. Tanata, just explain how the fourth quarter played out in your view. Thank you very much. It, it's been really an excellent year for us in 2023. I think a combination of rising interest rate coupled with our digital first uh, strategy has resulted in really strong revenue growth, good cost discipline, risk costs really well below the through the cycle averages. And you know, our profits have doubled during the course of 2023. So we're very pleased with how things have went uh, during the course of 23. Um, Donate, let's talk just about your, you know, the weak loan growth and weak loan margins as well then. Are you, are you seeing a better picture when it comes to that, particularly in 2024? Um, well, already we see in 2023 in Q4 that there's, there's really good signs that loan growth will resume. We see stronger mortgage growth. We see resumption of loan growth in terms of uh, wholesale banking. So on an annualized basis, uh, Q4 shows 4% loan growth, which is more in line with our normal averages that we've seen in the past few years. Can I ask you about the net interest income? Because just comparing the fourth quarter of 2023 versus the prior year, you can see only a small step up in that interest income. Already we're seeing pressure around many of the banks across Europe as that NIM story starts to fade. What are you witnessing in these numbers and what do you think lies ahead this year? Well, I, I think the, the big uh, speculation or assumption that we make is when interest rate will be cut by the ECB and by the Federal Reserve. And I think our house view is that it will not be until kind of the, the middle of 2024, 20, uh, second quarter. Uh, with that in mind, our outlook is that our revenue numbers will remain elevated for 24, but at somewhat lower levels than what we've seen as an excellent 23 and elevated 23. Um, while no recession is still in, in play for many parts, uh, particularly the United States, then you still have an overall falling interest rate environment. What does that mean ultimately for, for your business then going into 2024? Um, you know, I, I spoke a little bit earlier about that loan growth and that low margins portfolio overall. Costs also picking up. Is that seasonal? 
Well, I, I think uh, low interest rate is both positive and negative. It put a bit of pressure on your liability or your de deposit margin. But at the same time, lower interest rate also means stimulating loan growth, right? So it's, it's both sides of the balance sheet. And we see that balancing out uh, during the course of 24. I think inflation remains elevated. And I think we expect that to come down during the course of the year with somewhat of a delayed impact in terms of salary rises for staff. So I think overall, I think we'll, we'll see this rotation, but I think it can be well managed. Donata, can you just give us a line on customer deposits? We've heard uh, many different sources, United States in particular, about the competition for deposits. Looking quarter over quarter from the third to the fourth quarter, I can see slippage of 2.1%. Is there competition for deposits? I think the competition is getting somewhat less as expectations of rates uh, are coming down. But I think one thing that uh, I always feel comfort from from an ING perspective is that we have very granular deposit base, you know, over 38 million customer. But I think the level of competition we see as getting a little bit less than what we saw in the third quarter. Tanate, appreciate the time this morning. Thank you so much for it. Then Tanate Patrakul is the CFO then of ING. As we said, a whole host of earnings day uh, proceedings then that we will be following today. So coming up on the show, we've got a raft of executives on the show to go through their numbers. Dassault Systems, the CEO Pascal Dalos, does kick that off for us as well after the break. It's a first on, as you can tell there. So that's coming up just after this. Stay tuned. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Like I said, we've got a raft of earnings results coming out then this morning and uh, we've just hit the tape with Roche then, which has come out with its uh, full year results then, uh, really speaking about how they're hoping to see when it comes to their outlook, that is, expecting group sales in the mid-single digit range for 2024. That follows on from uh, full year group sales going up around 1% then uh, in this uh, full year period, particularly at a constant exchange rate. Um, when one takes a look then, as I said, uh, future uh, elements then, they're also speaking about their full year core earnings per share increasing by 6%, although in Swiss franc terms, that, that, that's actually down 9%. Then uh, the board proposing a dividend as well of 9.6 then when it, in Swiss franc, uh, their net income increase of around 7%. As I said, their outlook though, mid-single digits then for 2024 uh, for Roche, following group sales then going up 1% for the full year. Uh, let's push on to Dassault uh, Systems Earnings and uh, the French software company has expected now expects revenue growth of up to 10% this year after reporting 8% revenue growth in the final quarter of 2023 to 1.64 billion euros. Pascal Delos joins us now, the CEO of Dassault Systems. I know many of our viewers will note the change, Pascal. We've spoken to Bernard Chalais for so long, but thank you very much for joining us today on the back of numbers. 
Can I ask you about the fourth quarter and what sort of slowdown we're seeing in some of the numbers because the 3D experience that seems slower than the third quarter also around the software revenue seems to have stepped down slightly even though the numbers are still strong. So just walk us through what you're seeing. Good morning to both of you. So first of all, I think we are extremely pleased with the performance for the full year. Um, not only because we deliver the guidance, the 9%, total revenue and software revenue, but also because this is concluding successfully the five years plan. And you remember in 2018, we stated that we will double the EPS in 2023, landing at 1.2 euro, and this is exactly what we did. So I think uh, we can uh, be proud of this, given what was happened, what happened during the period, you know, or taking into account the pandemic, where almost we had a beauty growth for a year, and also the, the different conflicts. Now, coming back to, the, to your question, I think uh, if you look at the growth drivers, the vast majority of the growth is coming from the subscriptions. And the subscription is in fact accelerating 16% for the full year, 22% for the, the Q4. And this is also a major thing because I think what we did during these uh, last five years, not only we have transitioned the business model from a license to a subscriptions, but also we have expanded the contribution to the 3D experience platform almost by doubling the contributions. Pascal, I think if you ask many investors uh, and people who clued into the business world which French company could benefit from AI, your company is one that they would name. Just spell out for us what you're doing with AI and how it's bolstering different parts of the business today. Yeah. So, first of all, you know that we have developed this technology, in fact, a long time ago. Uh, just a proof of what I'm saying, if you take what we do in the life sciences, uh, we are doing what we call the control harm, which is a way to measure the result in a clinical trial. And we are using extensively AI to generate those insights. We do also the same thing for the design using what we call the generative designs. So coming back to your point, I think AI for us is much more a way to expand what we do to touch new users, new type of professionals, rather than to reduce our cost. And uh, we are not planning to lay off the people because AI is coming, it's on the opposite. We are planning to hire 1,500 people in 2024 in order to reinforce our position and to expand. Uh, Pascal, let's talk just about margins, if you will. Good morning to you. Then operating margin of 35.9 Then in this set of uh, numbers. And then the outlook for 2024 is a, uh, at least a 300 basis point drawdown in that number. What's pushing that lower in your outlook? Uh, in fact, if you remember, we had to manage uh, the post-COVID effect. And the post-COVID was what? <laughs> During the COVID period, we, all, we were almost flat from a hiring standpoint. And then in 22 and 23, we catch up in order to basically re-energize and uh, fulfill, if you want, uh, the capacity in certain verticals, in certain regions of the world. And we had the carryover effect in 2023. So, so looking 2024, we are back to the normal way. Uh, we are expecting to have an improvement of the EBIT margin by 30 to 50 basis points and to be in line with where we are usually, which is close to 33%. Yeah, you've also maintained, however, that um, you know acquisitions are important to the growth of the business. In which areas are you, are you looking at? I mean, uh, is, is life sciences still a focus of yours? Yeah, it is. I mean, 
The beauty is, you remember, we are positioned in three sectors of the economy. The manufacturing sector, which is still representing 70% of the revenue of the Swiss system. Life sciences now represent a little bit more than 20. And by the way, life sciences became the first industry for the Swiss system. And last but not least, what we call infrastructures and cities, which is the remaining piece. Uh, the point, coming back to your question, we have opportunity in those three sectors. Um, rather than, which is, you know, the normal way we do it, which is what we call the Bolton, which is acquiring mid-sized company in order to complement what we do, or also to make larger move, if you want, in order to transform or to accelerate the transformation of the company. We have a pipeline for this. Uh, now it's, as usual, um, it's difficult to predict the timing, but I think uh, we have a plan. Can I ask you, Pascal, about the different regions? Uh, just picking through the numbers, you say the America's revenue increased 3% to 38%. China, India delivered double-digit growth. That looks like a step up from what we saw in the third quarter. Just explain how uneven or how similar the regions are at this point. Yeah. <clears throat> the key takeaway for 2023 is that the, the vast majority of the growth is coming from Europe, believe it or not. It's 14% uh, for the full year, 15% for the Q4. Overall, uh, Americas represent a 7% growth for the full year. You're right, it's only 3% for Q4, but remember last year we had an outstanding quarter. Uh, the growth last year was more than 14% for Americas. And China, this is really where, uh, Asia at large, this is really where it was a little bit soft this year. And uh, it was coming from the volatility in China. If you remember, we started the year being negative. We were decreasing by almost 10% Q1. And progressively, we have recovered. And Q4, we deliver 15% growth in China. So I think we have rebuilt uh, the momentum. We have less dependency on the state-owned company, which were, I think, where the drop was coming from. And we have more presence in the volume market, which is ensuring, to a certain extent, a, a dynamic. India is also having an excellent momentum for almost the last two years, growing close to 20%, and we do expect 2024 to be on the same pace. Korea and, uh, and Japan was a little bit soft, around 5% for the full year. Um, I wanted to actually focus a little bit more on that Asian business as well. We're seeing some stimulus come to the uh, likes of China then uh, as well, but offered benign growth. Are there any concerns with that part of your business? How do you, how do you pick that up? No, that's what I was explaining. If you look at where the revenue is coming from in China, a significant fraction is coming from the auto industry. And as you know, uh, we have a large presence. And the truth, by the way, um, I was checking this, we have more presence on the new EV program than we used to have in the traditional world with the thermal engine. So you could, have, you could say that almost 85% of the EV on the market has been designed, developed, manufactured with our solutions. And this is a large fraction of the revenue coming from China. We are also expanding significantly in the architecture and infrastructure. And China has continued to invest to build the infrastructure, whatever it's for the highways, for the nuclear plants, you know, for the bridges, the civil right. engineering at large. This is where we are. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.